0: This message comes from NPR sponsor, the Capital One Venture X Card. Earn unlimited 2x miles on everything you buy. Plus, get access to a $300 annual credit for bookings through Capital One Travel. What's in your wallet? Terms apply. Details at CapitalOne.com. Hey, everyone. I'm Robin Hilton
1: from NPR Music. I am here with the editorial director for WRTI, Nate Chenin. Hey, Nate. What's up, Robin? So, a couple of years ago, there was this incredible album out. It was by the Pakistani artist Aruj Aftab called Vulture Prince. This is just a bit of one of the songs from that album, it's called Last Night, and we covered Vulture Prince pretty heavily at NPR Music. Everyone loved it, it was on on all of our year-end lists, and we've all been anxiously awaiting a a follow-up from her ever since. And now that follow-up is finally here, it's called Love in Exile. But this time, it's a joint project with two other artists we also love, the composer and pianist Vijay Iyer, and the multi-instrumentalist, producer, and longtime collaborator with a Rouge Off-Top Shazad Ismaili.
2: As you can hear from this track, Robin, this is a really magical convergence of these three artists. And it's not exactly what you might expect. You know, there is a folkloric aspect to this music, but there's also a lot of electronic texture and timbre. There's a real kind of long form development. And at the center of it all is this glowing interplay. It's in the moment improvisational completely collaborative it's just this enmeshed mutual
1: creative force so you recently sat down to talk with the rouge off top vijay Ayer, and Shazad smiley about the new album and the whole conversation was really surprising and and deeply moving it really was we gathered
2: at shazad's studio figure eight in brooklyn and it was a, a morning interview it was kind of the only slot that they all had available. But what I didn't realize was that Shazad and Arouj had been out really late the night before. <laughs> they had played the Tibet House benefit at Carnegie Hall and then gone to an after party that involved a whole lot of hang time and you know, what sounds like a copious amount of wine. So so Arouj came in wearing sunglasses. Um, and it was, right. I, at first I thought, uh-oh, this is, this is gonna be a bit of a rough convo. But very quickly, We just got into it, and they all spoke about how special it was from the very first moment that they got together. So that's where I began this conversation, by asking about the first time that these three played together, and it came at the invitation of Vijay Iyer, who is the first voice that we'll hear. I
3: had this week-long series at the kitchen, you know, Claudia Rankin had this series of series. She was doing this few months long project called On Whiteness. <laughs> and, <laughs> and, uh, and so I got asked to a residency as part of that. And I didn't really see fit to, like, address the topic so much as offer an alternative, you know. And so I just gathered people I love and trust, and we all sort of created things together. I had done other things with Aruj prior to that a duo moment and some stuff where she sat in with the project I had with hemes called thumbs up Mm -hmm. with Rafiq Batia and Casa overall. And so I was just sort of trying to see if we could do something similar. And it just dawned on me to reach out to Shahzad. He was coming in from out of town. So the whole thing was very seat of the pants. Like he showed up. I'm not sure he even made the sound check or barely in time for sound check. And then he came from Seattle from the airport straight to the kitchen and then we just started playing
4: basically
5: (laughs)
3: So it was one of those things where we have this a certain kind of like uncertainty and a certain amount of adrenaline, where we were just open, like radically open to the moment. You know, I think the best bands begin with a feeling. You know, it's sort of this feeling like this is this has to happen, like this has to keep happening, and that's basically how we felt after that. Mm-hmm. We only played as a trio for about twenty or twenty-five minutes, and I remember when we were coming off stage, Azad just held us together and like literally put his arms around us. And we all had this kind of sense of something significant going on that we couldn't even really name or
2: understand, but sort of wanted to surrender to it, you know? And how does the play of wide open improvisational texture and like traditional elements and, you know, folk elements, like how does that all... You know, what is the play of of that in this group? Because it strikes me as really organic, but also like very considered.
6: Yeah, you would think that it's all ambient and there's a lot of space and we're just sort of like new aging it. You know, but it's <laughs> it's very if you listen, it's it's very tight. It's super knit together. And, and I think that comes from just like our experience as composers over so many decades mm-hmm. and just ears are really open and you know that capability to just like lead and follow each other and, and even y- y- like play in unison together mm-hmm. without overthinking it mm-hmm. uh, you know and keeping it so contextual instead of just it's not a free jam it's succinct ideas that kind of lead into another idea and then at some point we're like okay we're kind of done and now we're just noodling and you know? so we're kinda, we kind of it's like we wrap it up too <laughs> you know It's uh, it's solid
5: then
3: Yeah, it's like there's that overview sensibility. What should this shape be? And when is it done? But there's also the detailed, oriented kind of attunement and listening that's like, yeah, when it's like, play in unison, but we don't have a line yet, so we're making it as we play it, you know. But that's a tradition. I've listened to Abhita Parveen for decades, and like her harmonium player would do that, you know, would play in unison with her, not necessarily because he had memorized every lick or something like that or every phrase but rather that his listening and attunement and the mapping of what he was hearing to what he was doing was so pure you know Mm -hmm. and and so refined so that's kind of what is happening a lot of the time
7: and i'd say when you're talking about the varied impulses or the varied textural spaces of a language words from a from a cultural space or Musical choices. What I imagine to be behind that is the initial human impulse to make sound. Like if I, I often, in a romanticized way, think about what it was like twenty thousand years ago when sound, when we were making sound together. And so those, all those impulses remain today, and they just got filtered through a culture, an instrument, mm-hmm. a structure, a structural choice. Some historical choices of a style or a genre, but still taking all that away, you get to this lower assembly level language Mm
4: -hmm.
7: of an earlier state and an earlier impulse that's still here. And so then if we pull back and the three of us tap into that impulse, then we're on the same track, regardless of what what clothing we're wearing (laughs) musically
4: in Mm -hmm. a moment.
2: it feels like the three of you have this is like a concentric circle kind of <laughs> like each of you has a different sort of musical center of gravity but the the references are all kind of bleeding into one another mm-hmm. you know and there's this like glowing overlap and you all are just leaning into it
3: i think like you know if if it's vocabulary that you want to talk about then maybe mm-hmm. you know but I'm pretty sure that there's something else afoot here with this group mm-hmm. <laughs> that the choice of musical elements are, like Shazab was saying, just sort of the trappings, more about intuition and about emotion, you know, and like really being as open as possible to the feeling of the moment and actually trying to express that and and, exp- and then Tied to all that is a you know set of maybe a set of questions about diaspora and longing and mm. and community and that kind of stuff that frames those feelings. So I, I'm reluctant to let it become too much about musical vocabulary or stylistic references or mm-hmm. anything like that because I th- I'm not saying that it's ever possible to transcend those things, but that again, like
2: <laughs> echoing Shazad, there's something more about just being human together going on. So you mentioned some of the diasporic concerns, and I wanted to ask about when the the name of the group came into focus
4: mm-hmm. and
2: talk about you know some of those ideas too.
3: Well, I, I gave a title to my residency called The What of the World, which came from a phrase from Sarah Ahmed, who was this queer feminist, South Asian, British theorist and, and scholar. And she was sort of trying to trace something about feeling and structures of feeling, or what people today call affect <laughs> um, or affect theory or something like that. But it was kind of about giving space for feeling that emerges that might be a result of larger structural or systemic conditions that we're living within or uh, that, stru- that govern our lives, you know. So anyway, <laughs> that was it was kind of with that in mind that I brought these different combinations together. Basically, we brought this group together. We didn't really have... I I didn't say, like, okay, this is what this is about or anything like that. It was more just that we were all there. And then, like, you know, we were about to play, and then Arush just got on the mic and said uh, just a few words about... And then she just said, like, really two or three sentences that I'm not sure either any of us could, like, reproduce right now. But the words love and exile were in there, you know, and, and it was kind of like... Uh, it was something about finding... Exile and longing, and finding a sense of home through love and music. It was something like that. Mm-hmm. Does that sound familiar to you? Yeah, yeah,
6: I think so. I feel like the room was really charged, mm. uh, and and that's kind of why I felt that I should say something, because I mean I was not qualified to say anything because I wasn't even sure what even it was that we were about to do. Mm. But I had a sense from it just isn't it crazy how like even before we had played, like there was already like a feeling Mm. of needing to say something to the audience about what this is about to be, Mm. which I didn't have that like at any point before, like we would just do it at that particular time. It felt like I should contextualize this a little bit. Maybe I wanted to, I don't know. But there was something about the synergy of the three of us that that needed to be kind of uh, put into words a little bit. And I just very vaguely was like, yeah, you know, it's it is about sort of searching for the thing and being in a journey, being a sort of nomadic musician behavior. Like I think so much about inherited heritages and. And, and being from so many different places at the same time and what it really means and, and Vijay's thing was called the what of the world anyway you know so I just uh, and especially because the audience was so charged I felt that I should say something and luckily Vijay remembered that so it's <laughs> a great title for the record because <laughs> I certainly did not remember anything that I had said in that moment
2: you're describing it as a sort of acknowledgement of this energy
4: Mm -hmm.
2: and i wonder whether it also then set the table for the music in a way you all processed what you said and then it maybe that helped put you in that space too yeah Yeah. i was
7: trying i was thinking about those things that i thinking about things along that along those lines because i'm really for some reason thinking about time a lot in the forwards and backwards of time and we do acknowledge that there are premonitory impulses we hear all the times all the time about some family member who heard from some family other family member that they had a sense that they were dying ahead of time, and Mm. so made some special phone calls, had some conversations. So there was a sense of what is to come Mm. in in the moment ahead of time. And then I was also thinking that as you speak about it, it allows the unfolding of the circumstance to take place. I was thinking about words and how strong they can be. I was somehow thinking about hieroglyphics and imagining that if you come to a physical space and you see a hieroglyphic, and you know what it, what it encodes, then as you walk through the door of that, into that space, mm. you're charged with a sense of what you'll do there. Mm. So you see a hieroglyphic that maybe indicates that this is a priestly space. So as you walk into what is essentially a room like any other, mm. you walk in with a desire to impact it and let it impact you
2: in a certain way. It's like a score. Mm. So there are bookends on this album you know, a piece that then has a sort of reprise, or call it a remix. (laughs) so the title of that piece to remain to return which i've been thinking about that title because you know within it there's a contrast you know these are sort of two different things but they seem well, I don't know. You please tell me. It feels like they're reconciled in the piece. Like there's a there's a, an idea that we're holding these two oppositional you know actions in the same hand. So can we talk about those two actions? Like, am, am I reading too deeply into that, or is there something there?
6: There is because I think I named the pieces after the pieces were written. And like my first iterations of naming were like horrible. And then (laughs) I think on the third or fourth try, the names of the pieces fit how the pieces are or what they're doing. And this particular one, definitely has that push and pull and that arc in a way uh, where I mean t- essentially to remain and to return is the same thing right because you're talking about staying in a particular place so whether you stay or whether you return there your the place geographically is staying constant and I really love that idea and that's kind of what's happening in the in the song that like Vijay beautifully kind of begins this concept and then we sort of add to it and then we subtract from it and and we end at a conclusion I don't know it's weird what I'm saying it doesn't really (laughs) make sense but it does when you hear the the song and then lyrically I'm saying this I'm just saying go I'm not going to talk to you anymore you know so it's like that push and pull is just like so fun and so beautiful, it's like hopeful, you know. Uh there's departure in there, right? There's notes mm-hmm. and elements of like because he's doing so much like fluttery, like he's kind of like leaving uh in the in the piano line and and Shazad is, is being really interesting on the bass but also being very grounding. Mm-hmm. And I'm just saying like fuck off, I don't want to talk to you anymore, you know. <laughs> <laughs> that's all I kind of say in the thing. So it's just like really fun and beautiful. And that is the emotion of two people. One is saying, like, I really don't want you to leave. And the other one is like, hey, I'm going to be back. So I'm not really leaving. It's not a forever thing. Mm. So that's kind of what I th- felt. And I think that that's kind of the energy of the song.
1: So it's named that way. And our conversation with Aruj Aftab, Vijay Iyer and Shazad Ismaili will continue after this
0: short break.
2: about the lyrics on the album um i'd love another example of a piece in which what you're singing comes out of what's happening musically or
6: so like i wanted to be an instrument too which is like a really cheesy thing that vocalists say from time to time Um, and it just doesn't really go anywhere because you just can't be an instrument you're the vocalist Mm. you know it just doesn't work that way but when you're scatting you know, you can scratch that surface a little bit. And I wanted to, because it's so open, like there isn't a succinct story to really tell here. And and, and there's a lot of freedom in not being responsible for the story, mm-hmm. you know, as a singer who starts singing and then all the attention of the entire 5,000 people is just like on you. And it's kind of like a blessing and a curse because then you're sort of supposed to hold the thing. And I'm used to that in my project, but this is supposed to be a democratic <laughs> situation, right? <laughs> but people are so interested in following the vocalist as soon as you start saying something, they want the meaning behind it immediately. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But I'm saying lots of random fragments of things because I'm trying to just use them as vowels to really just sing. Mm-hmm. And I never get to do that. So that this project is... Especially interesting for me because I get to flex a little bit because I'm not a very showcasey singer in my other projects. But in this one, I get to kind of go to spaces very freely without responsibility because the responsibility of the music is shared. Mm. So I kind of on this project cringe when people are like, what are the what's the translation of the lyrics? And <laughs> right. it's like, no. Because then it's gonna be about that. You yeah. Know? Yeah. But I will say that of course I'm not a monster. So like whatever I'm whatever we're playing, like I'm feeling it and I am saying stuff mm. that is it's not disconnected. So for example, Shadow Forces, I'm actually singing a Reshma tune, you know, which is in Punjabi again it's like fragments you know so it felt kind of shadowy and kind of dark and then there's always like the dark just opposed with the bright moment mm. in in many of the pieces it's not ever just one color the And that one, I'm saying, oh, God, I'm so tired. I'm so done with this. You know, it's like <laughs> it's kind of like de- dejected. The what of the world sort of yeah. emotion, too. It's just like, this world is so disappointing. I'm tired. And so the freedom to kind of put different phrases from different poems and different pieces together is what's happening on the record v- lyrically for me. Yeah. Well,
2: you'll be happy to know that for, for someone like me listening with no means of knowing what you're saying. I do register your voice as an instrumental. Great presence. You know, it's like that's that's really the way that I process it. And I, you know, it's it's all part of this stir. Mm-hmm. And something else that I really respond to in this recording is the play of electronic textures with this time scale that feels like biological. <laughs> <laughs> you know. Um, but there's nothing that even feels like it's intentionally moving forward. Like mm-hmm. it's it like the move is is so glacial or mm, you know
4: tectonic.
2: yeah tectonic right so geological not biological geological, <laughs> right right although you know i guess you could think of it as biologically it could be like the conversion of caloric energy <laughs> or right. something and i don't know if this was ever a conversation that you all had about what the rhythm of this ensemble is
7: it un- that unfolded naturally mm-hmm. and um There have never been any conversations about what is to come and what the music is, so it it unfolded naturally. But I do want to, for myself, give a little shout out to Raz Messonai and this uh, project he's had, Badawi, for a long time. Mm. interesting how much that stayed within me when i first moved to new york which was february of 20 of 2000 pretty shortly after that i got to record and play with him for a few records and he was an 80s skateboarding graffiti tagging (laughs) new yorker in the upper west side so he's been here for a while and deep in that culture he was making music with super early samplers in the way that any of those folks would have been doing wu-tang Etc. And um, he called me over to play some bass on his on his records, and he was looking for some sort of a desert pulse that was also off kilter. So it was based in fives and non fours, non duples, but with a kind of consistency, but also a very slow turning and constant evolution. Mm. That way of playing has really it really affected me at a critical moment where it's then become a part of how I sit with things. And I think that I can give a little shout out to him in terms of uh, talking about that sense of time, that sense of length. Yeah. Well, that's
3: funny, because I listened to those records
7: a lot when they came out. Uh, i forgotten that you were
3: on them. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Hilarious. Yeah, it makes a lot of sense. Well, it's that ritual time. It's ritual yeah. time. You mm-hmm. know, it's about, this is music that's going to move you in a way that you don't even know yet you know Mm. that both by doing it and by experiencing it you know that it's gonna rearrange something in your system and uh transform you it's like you know all the what you were saying earlier about um the ancient roots of who and what we are you know like that's what music has always been
2: right yeah i love that the idea of the ritual time and it's something that Each of you has engaged in in other projects as well, but there's a sense of breath in this, the way it's expressed here. It feels very flexible, even as it's, I think you said Shazad's playing is really grounded, which I definitely feel. And even when the space between one note and another is almost uncomfortably broad, (laughs) you're like, I know that this groove is happening, but it's stretching out to the point where it's Mm. almost getting away. And then you just like right back in it. I don't know i'm th- that's not a question i'm just a
3: well, I think, you know, it's come up a few times everything about this band is whatever are we a band i don't know what we are <laughs> I'll we're a cult everything about this cult we're hidden civilization. Items. <laughs> 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 um, it's like uh kind of refusing to play along with the rhythms of the moment you know mm-hmm. of, of like th- our contemporary moment i would say like for you know for example, when we were talking with Verve about this. They're like, "Well, you should slice all the pieces up into these little two-minute segments <laughs> so that you can get more plays." Blah blah blah. <laughs> like, uh, that's but, a terrible idea. We're like, n- just imagine how that would atomize mm. the totality of what we're trying to offer. You mm-hmm. know, and how 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 that would just spoil it you know and 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 so it's those kinds of moments of refusal that I think like the music kind of embodies not just like a refusal but an offering of an alternative
4: you know
6: the pieces are 14 minutes long I feel like the one that we released as the lead single in some ways is because it's the shortest one it's nine (laughs) minutes long you know and they they made it we made a three-minute version to be part of this era and people are really afraid of that they're not okay with a 14 minute song they don't want to be um immersed in something that has to that brings out your feelings for that long you know and i think that that is really a testament to how fractured the world is you know and i think we're all broken and we're all sad and we do need to sit with music that is that long to stay in a thing for for that long and and kind of like just be in your goddamn feelings you know mm-hmm. so hopefully we can get people to do that because that's kind of how it felt to, to play. It felt so great to just stay, mm. you know. I think we're doing something that is very natural and, like we said, te- tectonic, tectonic yeah. um, <laughs> but also something that is shunned by the mainstream industry uh, in music. They're just like, oh, no, 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 that's not going to work. Oh, no, no. I mean, it does suck to have a 14-minute, like, the best, like, I think our our music video, is going to be longer than a short film you know <laughs> like, there are the our drawbacks it is from a practicality standpoint doesn't really work in the in the digital age but fuck that you know music wasn't ever supposed to do
4: that
2: Feels to me like the people who are going to gravitate toward this music are are on your side on this issue, <laughs> um, and there's enough of them that you know that it will be supported. You know, I think about about Vulture Prince, and you know that's not an album that parses into s- snackable content. <laughs> <You know? laughs> um, but I will say that when I saw your performance at Big Years last year, you know, having heard and loved the album, I went in with a kind of expectation. And it went to so many unexpected places in a way that felt very familiar to me as a jazz person. Mm -hmm. Um, But I wasn't, I didn't go in expecting that. You know, the amount of Maeve would take it in a direction or Shazad would take it somewhere. And it was like, I just remember thinking, wow, Aruj is like a very take charge band leader, but also very generous. Mm -hmm. And like, this is everyone's. Mm -hmm. And so I wondered whether that was something that came alive for you in the process of touring with this band or like when did it kind of you know become a core part of your Working I,
6: I find it's a delight to hear them play, to mm. make space for this type of thing that's that's going to happen. Like, I want to hear it. If I don't get to hear it, if I don't have access to Shazad's like, six solo albums, then I'm going to make it happen in my own thing, you know? It's like, <laughs> I'm going to be like, okay, you now play this thing here so that I can go listen to it again and again and play contextually, like, how I would like to hear Maeve compose a space and then have her just take three minutes or whatever or Gyan or like you know Mm -hmm. I mean the people that I who choose me and who I choose as well it's like we're cats you know Um, (laughs) we don't choose it just happens but whoever I collaborate with and whoever decides that they're gonna take my lead and and make this music with me they're like beasts they're like insane they're not musicians they're like (laughs) it's a whole other thing you know and people are like, oh, you know, like she has like this super band or whatever. And, and it, it leans into that too, right? Because they're so incredible uh, that they do deserve that space. It's just good for the music. It's actually the right thing to do. You can't just have Maeve playing chords. It's Maeve. You can't just have Shazad like holding down. I don't know what, you know, like everybody has to step out because they are incredible at their instrument. They've transcended their instrument, you know.
7: I... At 50, I'm still learning what community is and how to create it, and even ameliorating the heartbreak of not growing up with community and, in a way, giving up on it. Mm -hmm. And then now, as an older person, thinking, no, I'm not going to, I'm going to try again. Mm -hmm. And I don't think I've said this before, but I have to credit Aruj with being one of my teachers along that path Mm -hmm. of finding community and the value of it. And as you were asking the question and we were talking about it, it made me think that generosity is an aspect of community because Mm -hmm. when people come together and if you as an individual or the room as a collective gives the generosity to be yourself in that space, then you feel welcome there. You feel like speaking to other people. You feel like sharing who you are. Mm -hmm. And that starts to create that fabric of community. And so in a way when bands are on stage and the three members feel generous towards one another. And I feel like as I sit next to Vijay and Aruj, I can play what I wish. I can listen and interact the way I wish to. We're, we're at that moment demonstrating and suggesting how community is created just by virtue of those, th- those three people beginning that
2: subject. Mm. Yeah, that's beautifully put.
7: I
3: often ask students, uh, you kind of use it as this like, almost like a Zen koan or something, which is what does listening sound like? Hmm. But that is actually what it sounds like. And, you know, this is the thing that when Aruj isn't singing, she's listening. And when she is singing, she's listening. Mm -hmm. And I think that's the thing that we're all, what makes it work is the quality of listening. Hmm. And that's basically what we're hearing.
6: When I'm not singing, I'm usually also just drinking wine. (laughs) (laughs) Throwing
2: roses around. (laughs) I'll float one more question, which has to do with the life of this group after this music is is out in the world. Are you using this material as kind of the the springboard at this point, or is it a document and you've kind of moved on to exploring other areas?
7: I'm going to say two things. One is... I hope to see us continue to perform all of the upcoming concerts with nothing prepared whatsoever and no relationship to the recorded material, because what has been inspiring thus far for me has been walking out and listening and giving. And then the second thing I'll say, again, speaking only for myself, is um, I don't know what will come, because I imagine check in with ourselves as the year unfolds and see Will we all walk away from each other, towards each other, towards something else? Mm. And we'll see. Yeah, I mean, when I think about it,
3: we've done prior to the pandemic about a half dozen gigs, never with the intention of like, oh, we should do that one again
4: because there wasn't any <laughs> sort of like, <laughs>
3: there wasn't anything to point to, you know? Yeah. And that was like at the end of that cycle that we made this recording, which was again just like, okay, let's play more, you know? Now that there is this thing to point to and say, well, What is that to us today? You know, I think it's the sort of thing that can be made, remade, unmade, that there are elements that were probably recurring already across those performances from 18 and 19. And I'm sure those elements will come back too. you know, like uh, maybe it emerges from certain kind of predilections or habits that we have, you know, or certain phrases that are rattling around in Aruja's head, you know. And even sometimes we would kind of do these very open versions of some of her songs. They would just sort of come out, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I think like that's all on the table. We have a whole bunch of concerts ahead of us this year. And so um, I think the main thing is that we want it to stay alive, you know, alive to us. So that's, it's probably going to just keep being unmade and remade. Mm -hmm.
2: Embracing yourself for audiences, yelling. Just play the hits. hits. Play that 14-minute hit. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah,
6: yeah. That's exactly what... We don't know what's going to happen. We don't know what the... Yeah, maybe the audience will get really attached to the record and will expect us to play. Yeah, I definitely don't think we're going to formalize them as songs and just go and play those that sounds really scary.
7: <laughs> this is a very but like, that'd be really funny though. It would like, be hilarious be like, every show from now on. We're just playing like, exactly that. Yes. That'd be really amazing.
3: I mean, I think the main thing about it is that this album kind of offers a place to be for a while, you know. And, and I think the music, and just in general, what we've been offering as a group is that. I remember one time actually it was Philip Glass since we started talking about him. <laughs> He said, you know, music, it's not a thing, it's a place. And um, yeah, that stayed with me. I think that's uh, maybe the best way to think of it. So we're just going to go back to that place every time. If we think about it that way, then we already have the answer.
5: See
1: That's WRTI's Nate In talking with Aruj Aftab, Vijay Ayer, and Shazad Smiley about their new album, Love in Exile, out now on Verve Records. And for NPR Music, I'm Robin Hilton.
0: This message comes from NPR sponsor Rosetta Stone, an expert in language learning for 30 years. Right now, NPR listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership to 25 different languages for 50% off. Learn more at rosettastone.com NPR. Imagine a house where every room follows a different architect's plan. Doorways don't connect. Staircases lead nowhere. Lost Patients is a new podcast examining our complicated system for treating psychosis, one that loses patients to an endless loop between the streets, jail, and hospitals. We'll ask how it got so bad and how it can get better. Listen to Lost Patients from KOW and the Seattle Times, part of the NPR Network.